we will fail each other. But a constant friendship will work out the gospel in that conflict. And what is the gospel? We offended God. What did God do? He sacrificed his son Jesus to forgive that sin. And what do we do? We repent for that, for that amazing display of love. So that's the cycle of redemption that we find in a constant faithful friendship with each other. We fail each other. We forgive each other. We repent to each other. We don't expect that that's, that cycle's never going to have to happen because it will. But the goal of Christian friendship is not to contradict the gospel with our lives, but to complement the gospel in our friendships and in our church. So division in friendship is antithetical to the gospel. Number two, division undermines the nature of the church. Division undermines the nature of the church. You know, there is one, there is one and only one reason that we're here this morning as a church. Now, you might be visiting and you might not understand why, why everyone might be here. You might have different reasons for this. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're gathered here today as his people, there's only one reason we do that. And you know what that reason is? The gospel. We come here not to fellowship around football. We, we don't come here to fellow... To, to, we are not united around race or culture or social status or class or age. We don't unite over politics. We don't unite over even humanitarian efforts. There is one thing that makes the church the church, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Period. We are here because there is a God who is holy and righteous and good that we have sinfully offended, and we are separated of the most important relationship of our lives we've been separated from and condemned to his just wrath. But because of his great love for us, he sent his son to die, Jesus Christ, in our place so that we could be reconciled to him. Our greatest need fulfilled in Christ. Our greatest relationship fulfilled. Our greatest father presence. Our greatest passion provided. You see? We're here for that reason and that reason alone. Because we don't think that our jobs are more important than Jesus. We don't think that our families are. We have come to know and to believe that our greatest need is found through reconciliation with our God through Christ. And no matter what happens to us in our lives, whether our health might fade away, we, we might lose our jobs, all these harrowing things might happen to us, rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Our joy is still secure and founded and fast. Amen? That's why we're here. We unite around the gospel. To be united around a thing sort of implies that there's some opposition to it, right? So if, you, if you're uniting around human rights or abolishing slavery, right? It sort of implies that there's, there's a group out there that disagrees with you, that's kind of pushing back on what it is that you think is right and virtuous. So you get together with others and let's unite around this cause. Well, friends, what is the church's cause? It's the gospel. And we, re, we unite around the gospel, we are around this God. The lost are held, and the gospel is simply this, that the lost are held on the judgment of God for their own sin. They need to repent, trust the death and resurrection of Christ as the only adequate payment for sin. Christian unity means nothing if it doesn't mean something. 
You see, friends, I think we have a distorted view of sometimes what unity means. What we mean by it is, can't we just all get along? So in other words, let's, let's don't have any kind of definition or standards. Because once you, once you introduce that, you'll leave someone else out because they might disagree with you. But friends, if the gospel isn't something, it's nothing. You see? We have to preserve, the, and the church is here to preserve and pr- protect what is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have one job, to unite around the gospel. And friends, that means we should only divide around the gospel. You see, as much as we should unite around the gospel, let me say to you this morning that if the gospel is tampered with, we should divide. Because we're no longer Christian at that point. These ladies, however, had the gospel in common. We know that. The text says it. They have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. That tells me they knew what the gospel was, and not only did they know what the gospel was, but they were doing what they were supposed to be doing with it. That is shit, contending for it. See? They have contended at my side in the, the cause of the... So they weren't divided over the nature of the gospel or the duty, their duty to make that gospel known. They were divided over scruples, silly things, foolish things. And we've all been there. I'm not beyond it. We fight about stupidities. And, and then our pride gets in when, we, when a fight starts, right? This, isn't this the cycle? A fight starts, the, our pride comes in. Boom. Now, it's not even about, I know I'm wrong, but it's not about that anymore. Right? And if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. It's not about that anymore. It's that I want the other person to concede. <laughs> right? So now we're fighting. Our pride comes in. So these ladies, dividing over scruples... Friends, the members of Christ's universal church are those whose names are written in the book of life. Isn't that incredible? There is no division in heaven. Those who belong to Christ are written in his book. And if you don't like somebody that's written in his book, God doesn't give you an eraser. Thank God. My name would be erased a million times. Revelation chapter 7. The church are those who have washed their robes and made them white in the, in the blood of the Lamb. In Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what... What they had done as recorded in the books, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. How sad, how grievous, how horrifying, friend, it is to remain in your sin and not turn to a God who loves you and provided a way out to make you holy like he is through his son Christ. But watch this. Anyone whose name was found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Oh friend, can I just invite you to believe in Jesus Christ right now? Because one day you will stand before God as a friend or as a foe.
Revelation chapter 21. Nothing impure will ever enter it, heaven, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but those whose names are written in the book of life. So friend, how is your name written in the book of life? Do you got to twirl and swirl and do cartwheels and look pretty? Do you got to make a lot of money to prove to God that you're smart? None of that. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When you trust in Christ, by grace you have been saved through faith. He pays the penalty for you. Your sins are forgiven, and there is a book with your name recorded in it. Oh, and friends, God's people in this eternal city are entirely pure, entirely cleaned, entirely washed, and entirely united. And that's the vision of the church. And friends, when we fail each other, we need to have that vision for each other. That I am, this is not who I will be. There is a glory self reserved for me, that glorious mouth. I know not yet what I shall be, but I know I will be like him because when he comes, I will see him. 1 John chapter 3. You see, that gives us patience with each other, right? When we step on each other's feet, when we annoy each other. Number three. Oh, excuse me. Let, let me. let me just say this to comment one more thing. <clears throat> one author says, It is against the nature of the church, the community of the redeemed, to confess unity in heaven and practice disunity on earth. See? Number three, division leaves the Christian open to various attack. Paul announces to the church, he says, stand firm. And what he's talking about is, he's saying stand firm around the gospel. Because in the previous chapter, he says that there are enemies of the cross, of Christ. Recall this? So he's, he's telling the church, stand firm around the gospel. Opponents of the gospel will come. And sometimes they come in various forms. Sometimes they come in the name of Christ. Sometimes they come in the name of something secular. But they come. And we need to stand firm for the gospel's sake. And we're to stand firm together. You know, in in a previous chapter earlier, it says, have the same mind, chapter 2, verse 2 in Philippians, to consider the other person as more important than yourself. To agree, our text says, agree in the Lord, have the same mind, chapter 4, verse 2. Now let me just kind of ease your mind right now. I've said this already, but it doesn't mean that we have to have the same mind about sports or politics or family size. But we have the same mind around Christ. And because that, because of that, it allows us to give each other freedom with our differences. Because there is a greater commonality that's more important than our differences, you see? To agree in the Lord, to have the same mind in verse, chapter 4, verse 2. To agree in the gospel. In order to stand firm in our faith, we need, among other things, to stand with. See? Stand with each other. It's clear that there are opponents of the gospel. Constantly, daily, we wrestle with Satan, with this fallen world, with our own flesh, right? Our own sinful 
proclivities, in order to stand firm in the faith, we need to stand with the faithful. That's the message of Scripture. So to let scruples divide us leaves us vulnerable to attack, and that's why the writer of Hebrews cautions us in chapter 10, and let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You notice that it's not enough to just gather, but that gathering should include encouraging each other. That's that friendship, that constancy, that transparency that I spoke of earlier, because the day is approaching. Friends, I want to make some applications now, if we could transition a little bit as we close in considering this message. Some applications that I think are important, just kind of like in the rough and tumble of life as we experience conflict with each other, because we do happen. And and this is the first application, that we should not be surprised when two godly people end up fighting. (laughs) Shouldn't this teach us at least that? Here are two women who contended with the gospel, with Paul. Apparently, everything was hunky-dory in their relationship at the time. They certainly loved Jesus because they believed the gospel and contended for Christ, and now they're fighting. So what, what should that teach us about the church? We shouldn't be surprised if we end up in scuffles with each other from time to time. It happens. It shouldn't derail us. It shouldn't make us, wow, I can't believe this church fights with each other. <laughs> right? <clears throat> The the second application we need to make is that Paul calls on these sisters to make the first move. Each one of them to make the first move. That is, he says, don't hide, don't be passive-aggressive, pursue the other, and work it out. That's what he says to them. He addresses both of them. He doesn't just address address the guilty party. Did you notice that? He doesn't say, hey, Syntyche, I know what you did to your sister, Go, you know, go Apollo. There's a conflict in the relationship, and he says, hey, girls, work it out, right? For the sake of Christ, you're our brethren. I plead with you to work this out. For the gospel's sake, pursue love and union. He pleads. He wasn't so much concerned with who drew first blood. He was pleading with both of them to make the first move, for the gospel's sake, to pursue love and union. The third thing I want to um, just note as a point of application, conflicts in relationships and churches do have varying degrees of intensity, don't they? But in the Lord, no matter how hot it gets, there can be healing. And we have to believe that. And I, as I see it, there are really three levels of conflict, three different kinds of conflict. And this isn't really taken from the text, although I do see one of the levels being demonstrated here. But I do see levels of conflict that we kind of come across in our lives with each other, with friends, with people in the church and whatnot. And the first level, I, I want to call it clear injury. Okay? And what I mean by that is that there's this clear sin that I did against you. It's obvious. I'm not even denying it. I was wrong. You didn't do anything to deserve it, right? It's kind of simple. It's very easy. It's seamless. But sometimes, even in those simple situations, people aren't budging because I was injured. I'm not going to go try to work it out with them. They need to come to me, right? And the other person is thinking at times, well, I don't want to go to them. They won't forgive me anyway. So no one's moving. You see, I think this is kind of what's going on with these two women in Philippians. 
They're not moving. They're both kind of stuck. And they both have to pursue each other. They can't wait for the other one to make the first move. So that's kind of like a simple, kind of seamless type of disagreement conflict. But the, the, the next one I call disagreement, for lack of a better word. So clear injury and then disagreement. What I mean by this one is it's, it's pretty, this one's kind of challenging. Because it, it's, it comes when two people are convinced, absolutely convinced, that the other person is wrong. Have you ever been in a situation like that? They're wrong, I'm right, and the other person is saying the same exact thing. And no matter how much talking that you do, you always arrive at the same end. They're wrong and I'm right. <laughs> so what do you do in a situation like this? Friends, I think that there are times in disagreements like this that Christian charity and unity demands that we consider the gospel more important than the disagreement. That you just agree to disagree. And that you don't let it get in the way of your love for the other. You see? I know that's hard at times to do, but you have to use wisdom when that's necessary, because it often is necessary. And that's, I think, what the wisdom of Proverbs chapter 19 teaches us, that it's, a, it's one's glory to overlook an offense, right? But then is the third level. This is probably the hardest one of all, a violation of trust. This is certainly the hardest to navigate. At times, a person's... Uh, sin against another is, is so grievous, so heinous, that it violates a trust. And in those sad cases, sometimes these are flagrant, unrepentant, willful sins that keep happening, keep recurring without apology. And friends, I have to note here that this is a gospel issue. What do you do in a situation like this as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ? I said before, only divide over the gospel. Well, I think that this is a gospel issue, and I think sometimes in the church there needs to be something done about this. To deny, this, to deny sin is to deny the gospel. Would you agree? The gospel says that we are saved by grace through faith. Well, saved from what? Saved from sin. You can't come to Christ without acknowledging that you're a sinner, without acknowledging that sin is a problem. You see what I mean? So if you deny sin, in essence, you're denying the gospel. So when you come into a situation that's so grievous and so heinous and so unrepentant, there's a way in which you're denying the gospel here. And the gospel needs to be... A Christian doesn't deny sin. A, a Christian confesses and repents sin. You see? That's what the gospel is. So there are times where the church has to stand up and say, No, friend, this can't go on. It seems clear to me that wisdom should decide when we should overlook an offense versus dealing with things like in Titus where he says, have nothing to do with a divisive man. Isn't that interesting? Because that doesn't sound like overlooking an offense, does it? How, is the Bible, con why does it say in Proverbs, overlook an offense, but in Titus, have nothing to do with this person? Because the gospel's at stake. See? That's the difference. The gospel's at stake. As horrifying as these kind of rare moments of life can be, when you're dealing with, with, with a person or group of people that have committed such heinous, grievous, unrepentant sin towards you or others, what do we do when villains repent? I think that's the hardest part of all, isn't it? What do we do when a miracle happens and they turn from their sin 
and they come to you in repentance. You see, that's where the gospel push comes to shove in our lives. It doesn't mean that we don't have boundaries. It doesn't mean that we're not careful. But friends, shouldn't our attitude, shouldn't we long for that? Shouldn't that be the desire of our heart? That they would come to that point? That we would have the hope for reconciliation, the eagerness to embrace divided friends. So let me close by again reminding us of what is the whole point of friendship in Christ and the church. Friendship is the greatest journey of all because the horizon is so far and high. Yet sure, it is nothing less than the day of Christ and what we will be like when we finally see him face to face. What then is friendship for? It is for helping each other to become our future glory selves, the new creations that God will eventually make us. And may it so be at our church this morning. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for the vision of the gospel. We thank you that you are patient with us. Teach us how to navigate what are sometimes very difficult and complicated issues. I pray, Lord, that we would be quick to repent, quick to forgive, and that we would move each other, move each other along to our glorious selves. The vision of Christ formed in us perfectly when you come. God, thank you for this purpose of the gospel. God, I ask if there's anyone here this morning that does not know Jesus Christ, that they will come to believe in the good God who sent their son for sinners like us so that we wouldn't have to remain in our sin. And if you're coming to faith in Jesus Christ right now, if you feel your heart turning towards him in faith, you're believing in him and turning from your sin, the Bible says that right at this moment, your sins are being put, that your sins were put on Jesus and taken off of you. And you have a citizenship in heaven. And friend, if that's you, if you're confessing Christ in your heart, I, I just want to invite you to come and see me after church so that I can rejoice with you and pray with you. And God, I pray for the rest of us as, as your church that we would have this kind of friendship with each other. That we would speak the truth in love. And God, as we turn now to our time of communion, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would bless us as we consider what you've done for us in the symbolism of your broken body and shed blood in Christ's name. Amen.